0: Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 28 of Baptism, Paragraphs 5-7 to seven. Although it be a great sin to contemn or neglect this ordinance, yet grace and salvation are not so inseparably annexed onto it as that no person can be regenerated or saved without it, or that all that are baptized are undoubtedly regenerated. Paragraph 6. The efficacy of baptism is not tied to that moment of time wherein it is administered, yet notwithstanding, by the right use of this ordinance, the grace promised is not only offered, but really exhibited and conferred by the Holy Ghost, to such, whether of age or infants, as that grace belongeth unto, according to the counsel of God's own will, in His appointed time. Paragraph 7. The sacrament of baptism is but once to be administered to any person. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 83 of This We Confess, where today we finish our look at chapter 28, dealing with the sacrament of baptism. Let me begin by wishing you all a very happy new year, with this being the first episode of 2022. By the grace of God, we perhaps will get to the end of the confession this year, and then the podcast will continue and move into another area of the Reformed faith. But today we return to baptism, and we've already heard in this chapter that baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament. It is full of symbolism and grace and truth, and it is a sacrament that we are to take incredibly seriously. Whenever we come to baptism, we are to use water, and individuals are to be baptised in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And with wisdom, the Westminster Divines tell us that we are not to be desperately concerned with the amount of water used. There are many in the church today who insist that only full immersion will do when it comes to baptism. The Westminster Divines do not argue that. Indeed, they say that sprinkling or pouring is the right method of baptism. And also today we remember that individuals who have never been baptised before, but who come to faith to Christ in later years are to be baptised, and also the children of one or both believing parents. And so with all of that stated, we move into the teaching that is before us today. Paragraph 5 begins by stating, "...allow it be a great sin to contemn or neglect this ordinance." Or in other words, say the Westminster Divines, "...it is a great sin to despise or to refuse to baptize. There are some denominations within the church worldwide today who refuse to baptise. For example, the Salvation Army think that baptism has become so controversial that they do not come to the waters of baptism. And even here in my own land of Northern Ireland, the so-called Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster do not take a stance on baptism. They believe that godly men have lined up on both sides of the debate, and therefore in the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster, adults can be baptised and indeed children. Although in practice, essentially the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster is a Baptist church and very few children are being baptised there. The Westminster Divines say that we are to make up our minds about baptism. We should not despise it and we should not neglect it. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 30, Jesus condemned the Pharisees for they had refused the baptism of John the Baptist. And then in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 24, the Lord meets Moses and seeks to put him to death. And the reason for this is because up until that point, Moses had not circumcised his son. So we see in the Old and the New Testaments that the sacraments are to be taken seriously. We see in both Testaments that we are not to neglect or despise the sacraments. If the Lord has given the sacraments to us, then we are to use them. They are a means of grace. They are for our good and our benefit. They will strengthen our faith. And to put aside baptism because some disagree on it, or to water it down so that it does not cause offence, is a great sin. We are to take the sacraments and baptism in this specific case incredibly seriously. And so my brothers and sisters, I would urge you to do exactly that. Please make up your mind what you think about baptism. If you have rejected covenant baptism just because it seemed too difficult and lacks any memory verse that you can use to impress your Baptist friends, it's time for you to do a little bit of theological work. Why is it that we as Reformed Christians believe what we do when it comes to baptism? Wrestle, think, pray, study the scriptures and come to understand the sacraments. We are to take them seriously, but, say the Divines, there are two important caveats. Firstly, in paragraph 5, they say that grace and salvation are not so inseparably annexed onto baptism that no person can be regenerated or saved without it. Sometimes, as Reformed Christians, we are accused of believing in baptismal regeneration. And so when the child comes forward for baptism, that child is saved as the waters of baptism run down the child's face. This is nonsense, it is false, and Reformed believers do not believe such a thing. Instead, with the Westminster Divines, we take the sacrament seriously, whilst at the same time admitting that you can be saved without ever coming to the waters of baptism. The Divines are clear that the grace and salvation of God are not inseparably joined to baptism. The grace and salvation of God are freely available to all who believe, regardless if they are baptized or not. Again, we will baptize openly and freely those who come to faith in Jesus and the children of faithful parents. We will not neglect the sacrament. However, we will never ever teach that you need to be baptised in order to be saved. This is simply not the case. As we think of biblical examples of this reality, we consider the thief on the cross, a man who in the final moments of his life comes to know Christ as his saviour, but is never ever taken down of the cross and baptised before he dies. And then in Acts chapter 10, we meet the Roman centurion Cornelius, a man of faith. But that faith has come, before he is baptized. And as a prime example, we consider Father Abraham. Abraham was a man of faith long before he was circumcised. And Paul would say that in Romans 4 and verse 11. Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Abraham knew the Lord, he trusted him. He had received and rested in Christ as he was offered in the gospel. But it was only years later that he received the sign of the covenant. And so, my friends, we must never fall into the trap of believing that we must be baptized in order to be saved. The grace and salvation of God are not inseparably joined onto the sacrament of baptism. We can indeed be regenerated and saved without it. With that caveat stated, the Westminster Divines underline another issue that we are to consider. Whilst we take baptism incredibly seriously and we do not despise it or neglect it, we also believe that not everyone who is baptised is undoubtedly regenerated. In the debates between those who are reformed and those who are of the Baptist mindset, often it comes down to this, that adults know for themselves that they are saved Adults have received Christ. There's evidence of it in their lives. They make the decision for themselves and they come forward for the waters of baptism. Therefore, these individuals are clearly saved, whereas a child cannot think for him or herself. But, my friends, we must admit that not every adult who has come forward for the waters of baptism has continued on with the Lord. Not every adult who has been fully immersed in a big night with all their family and friends present will continue on in the faith. Just because you have been baptised does not necessarily mean that you are regenerate. In Acts chapter 8, we meet Simon the Magician. He is a man who hears the gospel. He is a man that, it seems, believes, and indeed he is baptised, but it later is revealed that he is believed in vain. He wants the power of the apostles for himself. And it is the Apostle Peter who, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 20, summarizes the condition of Simon the magician. May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. My friends, Peter, it is clear, does not consider Simon to be a believer. And yet Simon has believed and has been baptized. Therefore, the second caveat of the divines is correct. Just because you have been baptized does not mean that you are saved. And this goes for adults and indeed for children We should never teach those children in our church who were baptised as infants that they are saved because once upon a time they were baptised. And we should never teach adults the same thing. Just because you have been baptised as a child or an adult does not mean that you are saved. We are to repent. We are to believe the gospel. And a sign and a seal of God's covenant is baptism. But it is indeed possible for you to go to hell with the waters of baptism, upon your face. And so paragraph five teaches us that we are to take baptism seriously. We're not to neglect it or despise it but we are also to remember two caveats that you can be saved without it and indeed you can be a baptized man or woman and still be lost to hell. As paragraph six begins the divines offer one final caveat. They state in the opening line that the efficacy of baptism is not tied to that moment of time wherein it is administered. Or in other words, baptism is not some sort of magic trick. Baptism does not force the Holy Spirit's hand. Baptism does not make the Holy Spirit work And so when we come forward for the waters of baptism, when we come with our child and we seek the covenant sign to be applied to our little one, the effectiveness of baptism is not tied to that specific moment. John makes this abundantly clear in John chapter 3. In verse 8 of that chapter, Jesus tells Nicodemus that the Holy Spirit is like the wind who blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not like a genie in a lamp, and when we do certain religious things, we force him to do our will. Perish the thought. God the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. We believe in one God, three persons, and they are all equal. So we should not ever believe that we can tame or control the Holy Spirit as we go through the motions at the sacraments. The effectiveness of baptism is not tied to the moment of time wherein it is administered. However, baptism is not an empty sign. It is a means of grace. It is a means by which God conveys His blessing and His mercy and His grace into the lives of His children. And so therefore, baptism is always going to be effective in the life of a believer. It is not tied to that moment where baptism is administered, but, as paragraph 6 concludes, when baptism is used correctly, the grace of God is not only offered in it, but it is really exhibited and conferred by the Holy Spirit to those to whom God's grace belongs. Let me give you an example of what this means, from my own life. I was born on the 10th of May, 1979, And I was baptised in Bloomfield Congregational Church on the 8th of July 1979. Now, of course, do not remember that day. I was there, but I have no recollection of what that day was like. I was just a little child. And throughout my childhood, I was a rebel. I was a little pagan. I was sent to church, I was sent to Sunday school, but I wanted nothing to do with any of it. I heard the gospel. Many faithful men and women opened the Bible and explained it to me in my Sunday school classes, but again, I wanted nothing to do with the Gospel. Then, many years later, I came to know Christ as my Saviour. I was going to bed one night, and I knew that before I climbed into bed, I needed to be saved. I understood that I needed to receive Christ and to rest in Him as He was offered in the Gospel. And that night in my bedroom... I bowed a knee before Christ, and I called upon Him. I repented, and I was saved. My baptism was proved to be effective. Even though it took place in 1979, and I didn't come to faith until 1998, the Holy Spirit blows where He wishes to blow. The Holy Spirit operates on His own timescale, and the effectiveness of baptism is not tied to that moment that the sacrament is administered. Instead, the Holy Spirit makes baptism effective to all of God's people according to the counsel of God's own will in His appointed time. A child can be baptized and at no point in his or her life can they ever remember a time where they did not trust Christ. Equally, a child can be baptized And that child doesn't come to faith for 78 years where they call upon Jesus on their deathbed. An adult can know Christ as their saviour and eventually come to the waters of baptism six or seven years after their profession of faith. In all of these instances, whether baptism takes place before or after conversion, the Spirit does what he wants. He operates according to the will of God in God's time. And he is the one who makes baptism effective. And so with this in mind, we hear the call of the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2. He urges individuals everywhere to repent and to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Baptism as a sign of the covenant of grace is made effective by the Holy Spirit. It is a means of grace. It will be a blessing to all of God's people. But God is not restricted to our timescale. The Spirit makes baptism effective when and where he wishes. And finally, as we close chapter 28, we look at paragraph 7, where the divine state that the sacrament of baptism is but once to be administered to any person. Growing up, I knew of several individuals who had felt were baptized all the time. Wherever they went, whatever fellowship they joined, this time they would do it right. This time they would be proper Christians. This time their baptism would mean something. And so those misguided individuals, entered the waters of baptism on several occasions. I knew of another man who, whenever he went to Israel, would go to the River Jordan to be baptised. I dread to think how many times that he was baptised, but he certainly was, because after all, it's the River Jordan. It's the place where Jesus was baptised, so why wouldn't you want to be baptised in such a special spot? However, as Reformed Christians, we are not, Anna, Baptists, we do not re-baptize or baptize again. Baptism is to be administered only once. As Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So when we see such a passage, how can we ever believe that we can be baptized on multiple occasions? And when we take the teaching of this chapter in its entirety, how can we ever believe that because not enough water was used, or because the individual who baptized me isn't a good person, or because of this or because of that, I need to seek re-baptism? No. My friends, the Reformed faith is a mature faith. And it states clearly that regardless of the individual who has baptized you, regardless of the amount of water used, if you were baptized with water in the triune name, in the river Jordan, or in the river Lagan, then the Holy Spirit is the one who makes that baptism effective. And that baptism, regardless of the age or stage you were at when it came, is not to be repeated. Today, we finish our teaching on baptism, and we take it seriously, and we thank God for the sacrament, for it is as the Apostle would write in Titus 3 and verse 5. The Lord saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. As always today, here are some questions for you to consider. Question 1. In paragraph 5, the divines tell us that we are not to despise or neglect baptism, but equally there are two caveats that we must consider. What are those caveats? Name them and explain them. Question 2. Who is it that makes baptism effective for all of God's people? Question 3. According to paragraph 6, what does not limit the Holy Spirit's work? And question 4. How many times should an individual be baptized? Support your answer biblically. That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn. Until next time, Happy New Year and this we confess.